0: Welcome to the First United Methodist Church. We hope our sermon broadcast will bless you. This morning we have two scripture readings. The first comes from John 20, verses 19 to 23. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of Jews had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples seeing the master with their own eyes were awestruck. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. Just as the father sent me, I send you. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? Our second reading comes from Acts, Acts 2, verses 1 through 23. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages. this Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then, when they heard one another speaking their own mother tongues, they were blown away. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes, Elamites... Visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works, Their heads were spinning. They couldn't take it all in or make heads of tails of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Others joked. They're drunk on cheap wine. That's when Peter stood up and, backed by the other 11, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both. And they'll prophesy, I'll set wonders in the sky and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red. Before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous, and whoever calls out for help to me, God, will be saved. The word of God for the people of God.
1: When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place waiting and probably wondering, What are we waiting for? The disciples, that ragtag band of Jesus' people, had heard the call and followed, not really knowing where it would lead them. For three years, they had traipsed back and forth across the land, following Jesus from town to town with undying loyalty. With hungry hearts and inquisitive minds, they listened intently to all of his preaching and teaching. With eyes opened wide in awe and amazement, they witnessed every miracle, observed every healing. They were there when he fed the 5,000 with nothing but a handful of bread and fish. There when he raised Jairus' daughter and his good friend Lazarus from death. They were among the first to hear the story of a prodigal son and a prodigal father, the first to hear the new commandment to love one another, as I have loved you. When he finally turned to Jerusalem and the skies grew dark and ominous, they stayed the course for the most part. They walked triumphantly with him into the city, filled with joy and anticipation, but then things began to turn. They backed Away, following only at a safe distance. They stood in confused silence at his trial, then watched in disbelieving horror as he was condemned and crucified and entombed. They huddled together through the darkest of nights. They were afraid and unsure what to do, but the dawn finally came on Easter morning. In all its resurrection glory and fear and trembling, gave way to renewed hope and promise. For 40 days, Jesus continued to appear to them on the road to Emmaus, in the upper room, on the beach at dawn. During those days, he reminded them and reinforced everything he had taught them. He reassured them that they had everything they needed to take up the task that lay ahead. And he told them he must leave them and return to the Father, but not before making a final promise. The Spirit would come to remind them of all that they had learned, to inspire them with new dreams and visions, to guide them into God's future, and that Spirit would be with them always. And so when He ascended, they returned to the city to wait and wonder. And on the tenth day, They were all together in one place. What do we do now? We wait, just like he said. But it's been ten days. What are we waiting for? I don't know. We just wait. And then it happened. At first silence, and then a soft and gentle breeze, and then a lone sound in the distance, a low rumbling which grew steadily like an approaching stampede, and then suddenly the roar of a violent wind filled the whole house and divided tongues of fire appeared, dancing among them, filling them with the Holy Spirit, power and inspiration from on high, just as he had promised. From that place, we are told, they spilled out into the streets and began telling the good news in the language of anyone and everyone gathered in the city, Babel in reverse. No one could miss or fail to understand The message, God so loved the world. And that was just the beginning. From Jerusalem, they spread out into the countryside and eventually into other lands and nations, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Everywhere they went, suffering persecution and prison and even death in doing so. And the church slowly but steadily began to grow. Pentecost. It's the day we remember the coming of the promised gift of the Spirit. It's been labeled by some as the birthday of the church. Happy birthday, church. There are even churches where they will serve birthday cake at coffee hour. Can you imagine a cake with over 2,000 candles? Church has been around for a while. I suppose in some ways Pentecost can rightly be called the birthday of the church, but I wonder if graduation or commencement might not be a more appropriate metaphor. It's a beginning, yes, but it's a beginning that comes... After three years of learning and preparation and reflection and seeking to understand everything Jesus said and did, we could say the church was given birth as each disciple heard the call and followed, that it was educated, nurtured, and trained as they made that three-year journey of transformation together with Jesus. Holy Week certainly tested their faith, a final exam of sorts. And though they all may have felt they'd failed that test at the time, especially poor Peter they would soon learn that they had really just witnessed one final lesson. One last teaching which revealed how the power of love and life can conquer the powers of darkness and death. The days following Jesus' resurrection, if anything, were a time for review. Remember what I've taught you. Not just a list of rules, but the rule of love. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love each other even and especially when you really don't want to. Care for the least, the last and the lost, the marginalized, the excluded, the forgotten. Let the love of God flow through you into all of the world. If Pentecost was anything, it was for me a form of spiritual Commencement. It was the day those early Christians inspired by the power of God and filled with the Holy Spirit took everything Jesus had taught them and marched out into the world to transform it for Jesus Christ by baptizing and teaching, by making new disciples. The Spirit conferred on them various degrees, empowered them to go out and work for the kingdom. It was a time for students to put all their knowledge and skills into practice, to themselves become the teachers and the mentors in order to make disciples of all people, and that's what they did. But imagine if they hadn't. Just for a moment. Imagine what the world might be like if they had just gone back to their previous careers. I was speaking with a colleague a number of years ago following the ordination service at annual conference. It was one of those years when Pentecost happened to fall on the weekend of annual conference. She was returning home to preach in the morning rather than remaining at annual conference because she said, Pentecost is my favorite holiday. Sure, Christmas and Easter are fun and full of wonder, but without Pentecost, so what? They're nothing. Pentecost for her is very much the birth of the church, its very beginning, its enlivening, its empowerment. And indeed, if there had been no Pentecost, if those early Christians hadn't taken what they'd heard and learned out in the world with Jesus, if they hadn't put faith into practice, we wouldn't have Christmas or Easter. We likely wouldn't be here at all. This is commencement season over the last few weeks. Today and in coming days, our sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters and other youth we know will be graduating, some from high school, some from college, some from graduate school. In many places, we see graduation as both an end and a beginning. The completion of a prescribed educational program, you work your way through books and lectures and papers and projects and show you've mastered the material and you get a degree. I suppose seeing it as an end is understandable, but isn't it really more a beginning? Isn't graduation the point when you are finally entrusted with the responsibility to put everything you've learned into practice? I mean, what would you think of someone who went to college, then on to medical school, and then following a residency, moved back home to take up life on the beach? I don't mean a week off. I mean permanently. Hey, I've got my degree, I'm done, now I'm just going to relax. That's not our hope or expectation as parents or educators or as a society. You take what you've learned and you put it into practice somehow. Granted, we don't always wind up doing what we think we're going to do. Sometimes people set aside career to do more important things, like raising a family. And there are plenty of people who train in one field that end up working in quite another. So I'm not speaking of some ironclad law that says if you train to be X, you have to be X. It's simply a matter of saying that there comes a point when you move out into the world and you take responsibility not only for yourself but for the contributions you're going to make to the life of others in our world Most diplomas say something along the line that this degree is conferred to John Smith with all the associated rights and privileges, It ought to say responsibilities. Commencement is by definition to make a beginning. It is to begin putting into practice that which has been taught and learned, to begin making a contribution not out of simple self-indulgence, but in order to give back to contribute to the advancement of all humanity. If we have that expectation of a secular education, is it not all the more true for our spiritual education? If the early church hadn't gone out into the world to share the good news, we'd no doubt be something Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, pagan, but we wouldn't be Christians. We have this faith because those who were entrusted with the message back then passed it on through generations and generations, thousands of years. And we're asked to take it, to learn from it, and to carry it on into the future. And so the question for us today is, are we being faithful in passing on our Christian tradition, our Christian understanding of how the world is meant to to work? And I don't just mean we the church as the whole, but also each one of us individually. What are we doing with what we hear from the mouth of Jesus? or through the Spirit. We've been given the good news of the Gospel not to sit on, but to share. The love of God for us and for all people is not ours to keep, but to give away. Yes, salvation comes with rights and privileges. We're children of God, forgiven and freed, promised an eternal inheritance. But salvation also comes with responsibilities. And our responsibility as people of faith is no less than that of the early disciples. We are called by Christ, nurtured in this community of faith, and then sent out into the world to share what we've learned, not only in word, but more so in deed. I know some of us don't feel like we know all we need to know to be an effective witness. Well, you know what? The disciples didn't either. The Gospels sometimes painfully remind us of their shortcomings and failures, but that didn't stop God from conferring the Spirit upon them. I don't know all I need to know either. That's why the Book of Discipline requires clergy to do a certain amount of continuing education every single year. And it's not unique to clergy, doctors, teachers, auto mechanics, paramedics, most any occupation these days has some amount of required ongoing education and training to maintain professional licensing. Getting a degree, even getting a job, doesn't mean you're done learning. It doesn't mean you know everything there is to know. You still have to go back for refresher courses and learn new and emerging ideas. Growing up with a doctor for a father, not always easy. I always thought it odd that they called medicine a practice. But it makes perfect sense to me now, not only for medicine, but for any area of life. A degree or license gives us the authority to practice what we've learned while we continue learning. When we walk out of the door of the church on any given Sunday, we are no less finished or done than the high school and college graduates tossing their caps in the air. When we walk out of the door each week, it is once again our spiritual commencement, our opportunity, indeed our responsibility, to put into practice all that we've learned, knowing full well that we will forever need to return to this place or one like it somewhere else in the world to keep learning and growing in faith. One of the beautiful things about the church is that we have all of that in place for all Christians. It's called worship. It's called Christian education. It's called Bible study. It's called prayer groups. It's called spiritual direction. This is the place where we're invited by God to come each week to recharge our batteries and to learn more than we knew at the moment we walked in. Knowledge and understanding of the faith is entrusted to us so that as we go back out into the world and our daily lives, we are equipped to be witnesses, to share the love, joy, peace, and grace of Christ with all That was the promise of God. I will pour out my spirit on all people. And it was the promise of Jesus that the spirit would come to remind us and lead us and support us so that we might make disciples of all nations, that we might share the good news of God's transforming love for all people on earth